Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, everyone. I'm your host, Ian, and we are going over everything that has made news in the last week of professional wrestling. But, of course, by far the the biggest things to take place in pro wrestling took place over the weekend. Two huge cards. One uh, from All Elite Wrestling. Their full gear pay-per-view took place Saturday night from Daly's Place in Jacksonville. New Japan Pro Wrestling also held Power Struggle this weekend from Osaka, Japan. And a lot of big things came out of that card as well. And the Wrestle Kingdom, the two-night Wrestle Kingdom, January 4th and January 5th, really starting to take shape now for New Japan Pro Wrestling. But let's start it out with AEW Full Gear. And we'll start off with the buy-in. There was one match on the pre-show. Serena Deeb defending the NWA Championship, the NWA Women's Championship against Allison K. Now, if you are a fan of the National Wrestling Alliance, you likely know that Allison K was the NWA Women's Champion for a time there. I believe she lost it to Thunder Rosa. Uh, Thunder Rosa then lost it to Serena Deeb. Now, Allison K had been under contract with the NWA, she announced just a few days, maybe even just a day before they announced this match on the pay-per-view, she announced that she was now a free agent. So things are getting kind of weird in the AEW women's division and the relationship they have with the NWA women's division. Not weird, but I, I guess things are getting a little complicated. Thunder Rosa, we know from, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but Thunder Rosa announced, or there had been all these rumors that Thunder Rosa was on her way to WWE. And this had come about after Deeb had lost the NWA title, or sorry, not Deeb. Uh, this had come after Thunder Rosa lost the NWA women's title on one of those UWN Tuesday night pay-per-views. So she loses the title to Deeb, and then all these rumors come out that, she, that Thunder Rosa is on her way to WWE. Uh, Thunder Rosa and Billy Corgan kind of let it get out that that's not the case, and she's under contract with them until 2021. Uh, however, it does appear that the NWA, be it Billy Co Billy Corgan and Tony Khan, have some sort of relationship where they're sharing talent now, at least as it concerns Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb. Deeb is under contract to the AWA or A ah, AEW. And Thunder Rose is under contract to the NWA. Allison Kay had been under contract to the NWA. Now is under contract to neither, but was wrestling on an AEW pay-per-view. So something's going on. Something's going on where AEW, I believe, is just trying to get a little bit more depth to their women's division. And there are uh, critics out there of AEW's women's division that it, it's, it's not much of a priority in the promotion doesn't um, uh, doesn't get a lot of air time doesn't get a lot of screen time and I think anybody can look at aew's roster and go wow that's really I mean in terms of star power the the male division is so much deeper just so much deeper and so there's a lot of critics saying oh aew's women's division doesn't really get as much air time and things like that they do, the bottom line is they don't have the star power in the division that they need for it to be getting as much airtime 
as their their men's singles division, their tag team division, etc. Now, if all of a sudden Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, or the the biggest names in women's wrestling that you could think of, if they become free agents and Tony Khan's able to lure them into AEW and you've got that level of star power in the division, then, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to have your women's division main eventing pay-per-views and things like that. But AEW's women's division doesn't have that that kind of depth. When they started the the promotion, really, like, Britt Baker was the biggest name that they were bringing in, and she, at the time, wasn't a name at all, really. Um, I think they'd had a lot of hope that Kylie Ray. Uh, would play a big role for them. And, of course, Kylie Ray is um, currently not saying that, currently saying that she's uh, not a professional wrestler as she deals with private matters, um, be the mental health issues or if she's dealing with something else. Um, so I think Kylie Ray, they, they'd want her to play a bigger role. The idea was that they would bring in these Joshi stars from Japan and they would play a bigger role. And that would... Um, make the women's division feel more unique and, and, and they would get more airtime out of it. Unfortunately, the pandemic, not being able to get those Joshi stars in. Uh, Kylie Ray, Awesome Kong, uh, Britt Baker's been injured quite a bit. Um, so a lot of hiccups and obstacles in the road for AEW's women's division. And they're sort of getting a little bit of uh, slack for it from some fans. I think the vast majority of fans... Uh, understand why the women's divisions are, are only getting one or two matches a show. Um, certainly it was not their intent for it uh, to, to maybe only be like a one segment per show division. But now we're starting to see, okay, if you bring in an Allison Cade, well, that adds a certain amount of depth to your division. You're bringing in Thunder Rosa quite a bit. You're bringing in Serena Deep. And all of a sudden, all right, more you know, you're signing more women. Now, Allison K, she's a free agent. Maybe, maybe you lock her up, make her a regular part of the division. That gives you a little bit more depth. Allison K, she's a veteran, you know, as Sienna, she did a lot of stuff in TNA for a while. She did some great work uh, with the NWA. You know, she's someone that I think, yeah, she's been around a long time. I think she would be a good addition to the division. Serena Deeb, I think has or like already in just the few weeks that she's been there. Um, would love to see a Serena Deeb versus Hikaru Shida match. I think that would be fantastic. But anyway, that was way more than I wanted to spend on the buy-in match. Anyway, so Serena Deeb, Allison Kay. This was a match. There was a lot of technical wrestling. Serena Deeb would pick up the win with a move that she calls the Serenity Lock. A lot of a bit of her gimmick is that she, you know, she in real life she's been a yoga instructor and things like that. Very in shape. Very athletic. Um, just looks like she just looks like the kind of person who like juices a lot, eats like the healthiest diet, hasn't had junk food in like a decade. That's that's what Serena Deeb comes off as to me. But anyway, she picks up the win with the Serenity Lock after the match. Thunder Rosa comes out more or less lets it be known that she wants a rematch for the title. So you could do that. You could have. Serena Deeb versus Thunder Rosa for the NWA women's title, a rematch from two matches that they've had on the UWN pay-per-views. I saw the first match that they have. I didn't see the one where Deeb won the title, but they had a great match. I think it was the second or third show that that promotion has done. So that's, that's the buy-in. Serena Deeb, 
gets the submission on Allison K. Thun, you you you've got it set up now. Deeb versus Thunder Rosa, another match. Maybe I guess you just do that on Dynamite. And uh, and yeah, I I gotta say I think Allison K would make a good addition to the division. I think they should lock her up. All right, so let's get into now the main portion of the pay per view. And we started things off with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. And man, I was a little surprised that a match of this magnitude started off the pay-per-view. I mean, it's a huge match to to just be out there first, you know? It, it's a year-long story, but like, hey, why not? You know, why not start things off with, with a bang with something that you know is going to be an amazing match? And it was. Um, this was an incredible match, kind of like you knew it would. There's such a story between these two that has taken place over the last year. And I think it's interesting when you look at, like, Kenny Omega's time in AEW so far. So Omega, what caused him to sort of fall out of the title picture early on in AEW is he lost to Jericho. They did sort of like a mini tournament. Remember there was at the first pay-per-view, Kenny Omega wrestled Chris Jericho. And then they had the casino battle Royale. And then they announced that the winner of the casino battle Royale will face the winner of Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. And the winner of that match will be the first ever AEW world champion. And Jericho beat Omega, and then Hangman Page won the Casino Battle Royale. So this is going back, you know, even before Dynamite started. And then Jericho beats Page, and so Jericho's the champion. So now, as soon as Chris Jericho's the champion, he's already beaten Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. So that knocks Page and Omega out of title contention. So what do they do? They form a tag team. And it's the perfect thing for them to do because they're both out of the title picture. At this point, there is no TNT title for them to challenge for. So they come together. They're a tag team. And they go on and they win the tag titles. And they had some amazing matches. You go back to the Revolution pay-per-view, which was in February, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus the Young Bucks. And some people are calling that the greatest tag team match of all time. Now, I don't like to do that because, or, or say something like that because it's like saying some movie is the greatest movie of all time. Well, I mean, like in your opinion, you know, it, this isn't math. You can't add up all the points and say, okay, this is the greatest movie of all time or this is the greatest match of all time. But it was obviously a really, really good match. And if you go into that match at Revolution, they tell so much of a story. So much of this, the story that has been going on on Dynamite, on BTE, was told in that match. Hangman Page and Matt Jackson just getting fed up with each other is told in that match. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega not knowing if they can trust each other was told in that match. And then they go on, they beat the Young Bucks. They beat so many other tag teams. And they had a great run as tag champions. And so not only are they having great tag team matches, but it is explaining why 
Kenny Omega and Hangman Page aren't in the AEW World title picture. It gives them something to do while Chris Jericho's going through other challengers. Because as we mentioned, Chris Jericho's already beaten Hangman Page. He's already beaten Kenny Omega. So it was the perfect time for them to go to another division, especially this predates the TNT title. So they have a great match, and it starts off with Hangman Page. He's getting all the offense. Uh, Omega turns it around. Omega has like a 10-minute thing where he's getting 75 to 80% of the offense. And Page kind of turns it around. And then they go into into the end where Page misses the buckshot lariat. Omega gets him up for the one-winged angel, and Page is fighting the whole way down. I love the way that they did that, where Page was was just, he was still trying to get out of the move right to the very end. Right to the very end, he was fighting off Kenny Omega. But now Omega wins, and he goes on, and he will receive a future AEW World Championship match. But you have to wonder, like, when will Omega get his shot? Because Kenny Omega challenging for the AEW World Championship I mean, that's a pay-per-view main event. That's for sure a pay-per-view main event. But you don't have another pay-per-view until February. That's like four months or three or four months. I don't know. Nobody can figure out how far away it is. Oh, February 27th is the pay-per-view. Okay, so that's, you know, that's a ways away. Now, Tony Khan announced on the post-event thingy that they're going to do some branded event in January, which makes sense because you just had a pay-per-view. You're going to go into sort of like the end of the year holiday period. uh, And then you'll sort of have a branded thing in January. And then after that, you've got like six weeks until the next pay-per-view, five or six weeks or something, depending on when you do it. So Omega could challenge for the title on one of those shows, but then you're giving... Like, you can't do Kenny Omega versus John Moxley on free TV, can you? I mean, I guess you could. You'd pull, like, a monster rating. But it also pulled a monster rating when Goldberg and Hollywood Hogan wrestled on free TV. That doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. So when does Omega challenge the winner of Moxley versus Kingston? I don't know. Let's get into that more when we get down to the main event. So the next one up after that was orange Cassidy versus John silver and John silver now on the pay-per-view. And that's kind of interesting because John Silver's a guy. I mean, he was just brought in to be kind of nothing, right? Like, you know, they, they came right. So John silver and Alex Reynolds came right in at sort of the beginning of dynamite i think they were they made their debut on the debut episode of dynamite but they were basically i mean silver and reynolds have done like been brought in to do dark matches and squash matches with like every major promotion for years now and so kind of when they were brought in to AEW, that's what they were going to be, right? They were going to be the jobbers for the Dark Order. But John Silver has been so entertaining 
I mean, Alex Reynolds too, but John Silver in particular has been so entertaining that now he, he sort of earned himself a spot on the pay-per-view. And you knew that this match was going to be a lot of humor between Orange Cassidy and John Silver because they're both sort of funny wrestlers, you know? Silver's very over-the-top and aloof in his role of the Dark Order and has sort of come into his own on episodes of BTE. Like, he's really become his own character, kind of, on BTE. Sort of this, this aloof bad guy, bumbling buffoon type. Um, but he's been so entertaining. I feel like he really just earned himself this spot on this pay-per-view opposite Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy's coming into this off of the loss to Cody. So maybe the thinking is a, uh, Cassidy could use a win here. Um, of course, well, I mean, Cassidy did win two of three from Jericho. So I don't know how badly he needs a win, but he did go to a time limit draw to Cody. And then he lost a TNT championship match to Cody. Anyway, there was a lot of funny stuff in this silver. Um, there was one point where Orange Cassidy was doing like his leg kicks that that are very soft. And Silver was just going, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. I, I got a good laugh out of that. Um, Silver's sort of the, the perfect antagonist for Orange Cassidy. So this was just a good match with lots of funny spots like John Silver ripping out Orange Cassidy's pockets so he couldn't put his hands in his pockets anymore. Anyway, after a bunch of stuff, Orange Cassidy hits him with the orange punch, followed by the beach blast. He picks up the win there. So we'll see what goes on there, if there's still more feuding with the best friends in the Dark Order. Uh, looks like the, the best friends are moving into... Well, they've been feuding now with uh, Kip Sabian and Miro. So it looks like uh, that's going to continue, obviously. Next up, we had the TNT Championship. So Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes. And I remember going into this match. I remember thinking, well, I can't see Cody losing the title so soon after regaining the title after losing it to Brody Lee. Because he just lost it to Brody Lee. Then he goes and he works on Stephen Amell's TV show for a little while or does something rather. And gains 14 pounds, comes back, beats Brody Lee then has those two matches with Orange Cassidy, and then is coming into this title match with Darby Allen, with really not a lot of fanfare to it. It was because so much of what Cody's been doing has been, he was in that thing with Brody Lee, then he was in that thing with Orange Cassidy, and then it was like, okay, up next is another match with Darby Allen. So it's like, I can't see him losing the title. But then I started thinking, this is going to be the fourth match that Cody and Darby Allen have had in AEW. The first match was on like Fighter Fest, and I think that predates Dynamite, and it went to a time limit draw. And I thought that was a really good match. And then Cody beat him, and I think he beat him. One of the times that he beat him, Darby Allen went for the coffin drop, hits Cody, and then Cody kind of turned it into a pin and then got, got the pin on him. And then that sort of kick-started the feud with Team Taz. Because Taz then came up to Darby Allen later. I was like, hey, I, you know, I, I can help you. That was, that was sort of like a just a basic move that Cody beat you with. I can, I, I can help you. And Darby was like, I don't want none of this. And then, you know, Brian Cage comes in, Ricky Stark. So 
that whole thing happened. And then Cody beat Darby again. So in the three matches that they've had, Cody's won twice and it went to a time limit draw. So, so then I was thinking, I don't know if you can have Darby lose to Cody again. Cause if he loses to Cody again, then it's like, okay, you can't wrestle Cody anymore. You just, you lose all of your matches to him. So I was like, okay, well, you know, and at some point you've got to start having your, your young guys win matches. And when you look at the younger wrestlers in AEW, you've got like, so Darby Allen, MJF, but MJF at this point is in your already main event level. So you don't, you don't have to worry about MJF as a prospect. MJF just is good already. The fact that he's young is irrelevant. Okay, so Darby Allen, um, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy. They've done a lot of like, well, here's this young rookie and he came close. He gave it his all and he wouldn't give up. But then he lost. They've been doing a lot of that, right? And they'll lose to Jericho or they'll lose to Cody or they'll lose to, you know, somebody in that way. But. Like they need to start winning some of these or else they're, they're just going to be the guys that lose. (laughs) I mean, I guess they are the guy. They're the guys that try hard, but then lose. So it made sense that they went with an ending here where Darby won. He won the match. It was clean. He didn't cheat. There was no outside interference. But it was like a win, but he didn't beat him, you know? So they did a bunch of stuff here. They both kicked out of each other's finishers. Uh, Kinda. So Cody gave Darby the crossroads from the top rope. But then Darby rolled like the entire length of the mat and was next to the ropes on the other side. Cody goes to pin him. Darby gets his foot on the rope or hand was under the rope or something like that. And then later in the match, Darby gave Cody the coffin bomb and, or the coffin drop. And he only got a two count. So they both kicked out of each other's finisher. And then they go into the thing you see in quite a few matches, these, you know, quick pins, these uh, reversing the cradle into a cradle of your own. And you're reversing pinning combinations into reversing pinning combinations and you're getting two counts and two counts and two counts and then three he got three on cody so i mean i've seen that ending before but you don't see it a lot and i didn't expect it i didn't expect it when it happened because i was sitting there going like okay well one of them has to win with like a super version of their finisher and as i was thinking that uh cody just didn't kick out at three on one of the pin attempts And so I was like, all right, well, here we go. Because Darby won. He got the win that he needed. He couldn't lose again. That's too many losses to the same guy in a row for a Knicks match between them to be interesting, even if it's like two years later. Well, if it's two years later, it's fine. But anyway, so he won. Cody didn't really lose. Cody just got pinned. But Cody did lose the title again. So he's now lost that title twice. So... Then there was a bunch of stuff after the match. So after the match, 
Cody's being the gracious champ or gracious former champion defeat. He gets down on a knee there and gives Darby the title and everybody's chanting for him. But then team Taz comes out. So Taz comes out and he's got Starks and he's got cage and they teased a little dissension between Starks and cage. I don't know how many people caught that. They sort of both grabbed onto the TNT title at the same time and sort of had like a mini tug of war, but then they started beating up Darby Allen and then they started beating up Cody and then they were going to ram his uh, leg in the door or something in the door, some type of limb in the door, but then Will Hobbs came to the rescue. And so now you've sort of got these sides here where Darby Allen and Will Hobbs are on one side and team Taz is on the other side. And so where do we go from here with the TNT title? Does Cody get a rematch? I mean, he'll probably get a rematch somewhere down the line, but it seems like we're pretty set up for Darby Allen and team Taz to continue. Like, it seems like Darby should want to put up that title against Ricky Starks, like a TNT title match against Ricky Starks. Uh, I don't know if we get a TNT title match against Brian Cage. Maybe, maybe Brian Cage beats Darby Allen and then Cody's got to wrestle Brian Cage. That could be, that could be something. I don't know, but it didn't seem like with all that activity after the match, it doesn't seem like it, it, it makes sense for Cody and Darby to wrestle again before Darby and Will Hobbs take on team Taz. It seems like that's the Knicks. So then what is, so then Cody's gone from the TNT title picture for a little while, if that's the case, you know, maybe he just takes a few months off from the TNT title. He goes into some other program and then goes back to it. Oh, another huge thing about this match, completely worth mentioning. Um, So it came out this week that WWE had abandoned its attempt to re-trademark the name Cody Rhodes. And so what had happened is they did Cody Rhodes' name trademark for like a decade uh, because Cody started his career with WWE. He'd never used that name anywhere else. So they, uh, they held the rights to it. Now you can make the argument. All right. Well, yeah, but Cody's real name's Cody. His dad was dusty Rhodes. His family's so associated with the last name Rhodes. So does WWE really have a right to own that name? I think a lot of people kind of have the opinion. Like, I mean, I guess technically you can own it, but I don't know. I don't know if you should want to do that. Anyway, WWE abandoned its, request to trademark the term again they actually let the trademark expire they didn't renew it on time just out of pure accident i guess cody tried to to trademark it they rejected his trademark but then somewhere in there wwe said okay we're done with it we're we're canceling our request and cody's cody Rhodes again then cody on a media call to promote the pay-per-view he says, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to use Cody Rhodes while wrestling. It's just going to be something that I use outside of wrestling, like when acting, which we now know was just complete bullshit that he said, I don't know, just to make it a bigger deal when they announced him on the pay-per-view. Uh, and it was a bigger deal when they announced him on the pay-per-view because Justin Roberts 
you know, reads off the half a dozen nicknames that Cody has and then just goes, Cody, you know, he says Cody, like really like ho-hum and then does a big exaggerated Rhodes just so everyone knows he's Cody Rhodes again. And that's better, you know? I mean, he was always Cody Rhodes. Um, People would slip up and refer to him as Cody Rhodes. I would always refer to him as Cody Rhodes. We were all calling him Cody Rhodes in our head. But he was just Cody. Like, they would just announce Cody. And that, I don't know, makes me see feel like he's in a boy band or something. Like, it's Nick and Cody. And, and I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that makes no sense whatsoever. But Cody Rhodes being Cody Rhodes again just makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and yeah, he's Cody Rhodes again, but he's not the TNT title holder anymore. That's Darby Allen. And so we'll see where that goes. I think it moves into Darby Allen versus team Taz and Cody goes off and does something else, but it, it was a really interesting way that they navigated that match result and the stuff that happened afterwards. Anyway, now let's move on to the AEW women's world championship match. Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose. And so we mentioned this before, and we might as well say it again. The, the problem with AEW's women's division is depth of star power. They have a lot of good women. As we mentioned, they've brought in Serena Deeb right now, which I'm thrilled about because I've been a fan of hers since she was in the straight edge society with CM Punk. So you bring in Serena Deeb. They've brought in, um, I really like Ivelisse. Ivelisse is Thunder Rosa. It's good, you know, if they bring in Allison K. So, you know, just slowly making smart roster additions. That's how you're going to get out of this spot where everyone's ripping on you for your women's division. Just slowly bring in more women wrestlers who can uh, pop a big rating on TV, who can get people excited about pay-per-view matches. It's going to take some time because a lot of those women are locked up to contracts with other organizations. They're not in WWE. They're in Impact or NWA or they're, um, you know, in stardom in Japan. You know, they basically can't use B Priestley because she's, um, you know, she's wrestling so much in Japan and, and the, the travel situations not being ideal. Maybe when the world comes back together, you could get B Priestley back, uh, which would be great. I really like her. Yuka Sakazaki, uh, Riho. I mean, Jesus, that was your first champion. So, you know, if you can just make some smart additions, like we're saying, and I definitely think Allison K would be a smart addition, Serena Deeb, and just do the best you can, you know, um, until you, you get some of the stars from Japan back and you can go back to sort of what you had originally planned. Um, but the problem is if you, you have too many women's matches while you don't have a lot of depth, you can run through the matches that you've had um, a lot quicker. And that's sort of the case here. Like Sheeta and Nyla Rose have already wrestled. Uh, they've already wrestled for the title. Sheeta beat Nyla Rose. So you've already done this program and you're kind of in a position where you're forced to repeat it because you just, like, you could have Sheeta versus Big Swole, or you could have Sheeta versus Britt Baker. Well, I think Britt Baker's still hurt. So, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Put Abaddon in there? She's only been wrestling for, like, 
10 months or something, like a year or something. Like it's much better to hold off on making Abaddon a star until she's had a little bit more screen time or sorry, not screen time, but like match time in ring time. And you can really trust her out there. Um, but anyway, so like, that's what this was. This was a repeat of like, this was the women's match we got because this was the only one you could really put out there. That was pay-per-view worthy. Um, I, I mean, you could do Sheeta versus Big Swole, I guess, but I think, I mean, we already did that. Uh, so I don't know. But anyway, we got Hikaru Shido picking up the, the victory here. And then after the match, uh, Vicky Guerrero started like verbally running down Nyla Rose, like just running her down. It looked like maybe Nyla was going to turn on Vicky or maybe these two are going to stop being aligned. But Nyla just kind of took it. And that was that was that. And that was the AW uh, uh, women's match. So we had the, the two title matches for the women's division uh, this week or at full gear. And uh, so I think maybe once we start combining what's happening with the NWA women's title and the AW women's title, maybe that'll open up some matches. Like I said, I'd love to see Hikaru Shida versus Serena Deeb. Hikaru Shida versus Allison Kay. Uh, Thunder Rosa, if you get her in the mix there. Uh, that would be great. Wait, didn't we already see Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa? I don't know. Anyway, there's matches out there. But Hikaru Shida at this point seems like she's kind of gone through everybody. And you need some fresh matches for her. And this wasn't a fresh match. We've seen this before. So we'll see where they go with the women's division. But uh, making some smart additions to it. And they'll make some more smart additions to it. Get some depth. Get some fresh matches. And, and the division will start to turn itself around a little bit there. Oh, another one, Chris Statlander. Remember, Chris Statlander was becoming fairly popular. And then I can't, I can't remember what she did. If she tore like an ACL or something, but she's out for like another eight months. So she's gone for a while and she was starting to get really popular. Britt Baker has become sort of the biggest star of the division, but I don't think she's cleared. She suffered that one injury and she was gone all summer and then said she would be back in September. But then she just did the the dentist office match with Big Swole at All Out. And she's not really done much since. So I think Britt Baker is on the shelf for them, too. So, you know, a lot of injury problems, injury problems, pandemic problems, um, you know, I think also when they started, they, they kind of thought awesome Kong would be a bigger deal for them. And uh, by the sounds of it, she was just a little too beat up and not able to keep going with it. So we'll see where the division goes, but it kind of feels like she does now taken everybody out and we need some new challengers for Hikaru Shida. In fact, we probably needed new challengers for Hikaru Shida before this pay-per-view because Nyla Rose as we said, she's not a new challenger. This is this is a rehashed program because you just don't have the depth in that division. But anyway, let's move on to the tag title match because there is a lot of good stuff to talk about in this tag title match. So this is basically a match that, I mean, it's years in the making. Going back to when the revival we're in NXT and having those great matches with team DIY. And we saw a little DIY homage 
in the in their match tonight or last night. But basically, these two tag teams have been arguably the, well, I mean, they'll claim they're the two best tag teams in the world. WWE fans will talk about New Day and the Usos, but if, you're, if your bag is non-WWE wrestling, then FTR and the Young Bucks are 100%, um, you know, arguably the greatest tag teams in the world. But they're actually very different type of tag teams. The Young Bucks are very much, there's a lot of Lucha influence, a lot of, like, like the California indie scene, where guys like the Young Bucks, the best friends, SCU, and they do, the wrestlers that come out of there, their influence has a lot of Lucha Libre in it. So you get a lot more flying head scissors, flying around the ring, big you know, fancy moves. Whereas with FTR, their influences is more like old Southern wrestling. So, you know, like Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard and things like that. Now the young bucks, they do have a lot of psychology in their matches. And then their psychology seems for the most part is usually based around some injury that Matt Jackson has. And then he has to overcome it. So Nick Jackson can do his big comeback. That's, that's Young Buck psychology quite a bit. FTR's a, a little bit more in depth with their psychology. Basically, anything FT, anytime FTR gets the advantage in a wrestling match, it's usually because they did some tag team creative move, right? Like they made a blind tag or they did a double team behind the ref's back or something. Every time FTR gains the advantage of a match, it's because of some devious underhanded thing that they did but the young bucks are just a, a straight rockers uh high flying you know that kind of tag team i mean they mix in some psychology but that's basically it and so this entire match was psychology based on the two different types of teams that they are and homages to other tag teams that's what the entire match was and it was fantastic and so what I mean is uh, there were two injuries in play and Matt Jackson had an injured limb and we saw FDR did that pilmanizing thing where they put his leg in the chair and they stomped on and yada, yada, yada. So he comes in with that. But then early in the match, Dawson goes to punch one of the young bucks. They move out of the way and he punches the ring post. So now think about this for a second. Dawson's fist is all busted up. Matt Jackson's leg is all busted up. Their whole thing has been based on the Young Bucks are the team that does flips. FTR is no flips, just fists. One team can't do their flips because their leg is injured. The other team can't use their fists because their fists are injured. That's pretty creative. Uh, on top of that, there was just a lot of using... Uh, classic tag team moves it, it's gonna take way too long to figure all of this out uh or to name like all of the teams that were given a shout out but uh at one point both the young bucks did the head scissors takeover into the fist to the head which i know the rockers used to do i'm not sure uh i, I would imagine some other 
teams probably have done that spot as well. There was, uh, I think it was FTR did the heart attack as sort of an homage to the Hart Foundation. And I know that FTR and Bret Hart talk quite a bit. Like Bret Hart will send them texts after matches and things like that. Uh, they also did the Steiner uh, Bulldog. They did that. They There was an homage to the, like, the uh, double kick that DIY does. So it was all tag team psychology and, uh, mixed with homages to tag teams. And then, you know, of course, the Wheeler misses the, the dive. And I was like, whoa, you're, that's, that's not what you do. And then he takes off the boot of uh, Matt Jackson. He's working on the leg. He's working on the leg. Matt Jackson, even with the injured leg, delivers the super kick with the bare foot, gets the pin. The Young Bucks finally are the AEW Tag Team Championships. And there was just a, a lot to take in for that match. I might do an Anatomy of a Match article on it, actually. I probably will. I'll do something from this card. And the Young Bucks are the Tag Team Champions. And then there was a lot of storytelling after the match as well. So FTR basically goes to the back. And, oh, another thing. So Tully Blanchard was banned from ringside from this match. And I thought that made sense because Tully just inter is just interfering and interfering in match after match after match. And he's actually, I think, one of, if not the only manager in AEW who does that. When you look at the other managers, most of them don't interfere. Taz doesn't interfere, I don't I don't think. Maybe a little bit. He might throw a object in. or But for the most part, no. Arn Anderson doesn't. Jake the Snake doesn't. Um, I think maybe Vicky Guerrero might grab somebody's leg on the outside or something like that. She did that against Hikaru Shida. But for the most part, no. So the decision then made, like, hey, there's got to be consequences to this. So the big match on the pay-per-view, you're not in the corner. And it also then, then that's something that's different about the rematch, is that Tully will be in the corner for the next match, most likely. Unless there was some reason he wasn't there. Um, so we will, I'm sure, we will get a rematch between the Young Bucks and FTR. And there will there will be just something about that match that's a little different, you know. And I think having Tully in FTR's corner, well, that's just, that's just one reason why FTR... That's one reason why fans would believe that FTR, even though they lost this match, would have a chance at winning the next match. So just a lot to take in there. Really, uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't think anybody thought that that could be a bad match, but it was just a fun story that they told. Um, a really fun story, you know, and I'm glad that they went heavy on story and not heavy on moves. Um, and I guess coming into the match, Matt Jackson really was dealing with some injuries. So maybe they didn't, want to go heavy spot fest of course ftr doesn't really have those types of matches so uh, i thought it was just you know their two styles mixed really well and it was like this homage to classic tag team wrestling that took place too so it was great it was fantastic and now the young bucks are the tag team champions um another thing about the stipulation so remember they had the stipulation going into the match that if the young bucks didn't win the titles then they they could never challenge for the titles ever again. And it was the same stipulation that Cody had going into his title match with Chris Jericho. 
And when Cody said, all right, if I lose this, I can never challenge for the title again. I thought, oh, oh, great. Well, Cody's winning. We all know that Cody's winning the title now. And then he didn't. And so any time where like there's that kind of stipulation where somebody puts their career on the line, you're like, well, I know he's not retiring, so I know who's going to win now. That's sort of what I thought going into this match. I was like, well, I know the Young Bucks are never going to not challenge for the tag title, so I know that they're going to win here. But then I started, but but then you've got what happened with Cody in the back of your mind. You're like, well, maybe that's, maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know. And there were a few near falls where I thought to myself, oh, maybe I don't know. But no, it, it turned out I knew. All right, so let's move on then. The next thing up was the Elite Deletion match. Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara, very much a cinematic match, very much um, in the style that we've seen him do on the Hardy Family Compound before. I was surprised it took us this long to get this type of match. Especially because, like, right when Matt Hardy came in, that's when the pandemic had just turned everything to shit. And I thought, what a perfect time for a Matt Hardy cinematic match. Because remember around WrestleMania, that's where everybody was thinking, oh, cinematic matches. That's what we're going to get during this pandemic. And then, you know, we got the Thunderdome and we got fans coming into Daly's Place. So the cinema, the the desire for cinematic matches kind of petered out after a couple of months. But that's when I thought made the most sense for us to get this sort of elite deletion uh, type of match. But we got it here at Full Gear. Lots of fun cameos. I popped hard when Gangrel uh, was revealed, takes his mask off, and you see the fangs, and you're like, nice, Gangrel. Awesome. And that plays into Matt Hardy's history, because remember, him and his brother were in the new brood with Gangrel. Um, I say remember. I I understand that some of you are too young to remember that, because it was like a quarter of a century ago now. But anyway, that, that is what happened. <laughs> um, we got the hurricane. The hurricane was there. Of course, good friends with, um, uh, you know, the Hardys and things like that. So, so hurricane was there. And Matt Hardy basically got his revenge in this match. Oh, there was a spot where the hurricane got thrown into the lake of reincarnation. And he came back out as his mild-mannered reporter gimmick. And then he asked a question to Sammy Guevara. He goes, something along the lines of, is this rivalry cursed or are you just clumsy? And that was, of course, in reference to all the times Matt Hardy has gotten hurt during this feud. And there was, remember, Sammy threw the chair at Hardy's head and it busted him open. Then at the last pay-per-view, they fell off that lift through a table and Hardy was knocked like clean out. So everyone sort of said, oh, my God, this feud just needs to die because they keep getting hurt. But then everything that happened to Matt Hardy in the buildup to this match, Matt Hardy did back to Sammy Guevara. He threw a chair in his face. He then kind of speared him off the ring apron through some tables and they cut to Guevara and it made it look like blood was coming all out of the back of his head, which I think was sort of like a callback to. Matt Hardy hitting his head after the table spot on the last pay-per-view. Uh, I can't remember what Hardy did exactly to win the match, but he he won the match clearly. 
and private party was there. They battled Santana and Ortiz and hurricane and gangrel. So it was quite the to do quite the to do. But I think finally, after multiple pay-per-views and several injuries, the Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara rivalry is finally over. I think Sammy Guevara might be gone for a while because they, they put him in a trash can after this match and then, you know, kind of put him on the back of a truck and then Senor Benjamin drove him away. So I think Sammy might be gone for a while. Sammy might might not know. He might not even be aware that MJF has joined the inner circle. And that actually takes us to the semi-main event of the evening. Maxwell Jacob Friedman going up against Chris Jericho with the stipulation being if MJF wins, he'll join the inner circle. And there's, I mean, such a, such a crazy buildup to this match from the, the sort of dueling promos that they would say to each other. MJF finally coming out and saying, I want to be in the inner circle and them having a town hall with Eric Bischoff, then Le Dinner Debonair with the musical number that some people love, other people hate. All of that leading up to this match here, Jericho, MJF, semi-main event, Hager's on the outside with for Jericho. Wardlow's on the outside for MJF. They're having, you know, basic wrestling match, but the thing to keep in mind is MJF had told Chris Jericho, I'll do anything to win this match, anything. And so we got an ending that was filled with a little bit of chicanery. So MJF had motioned for Wardlow to come out and he was going to hit Jericho with his diamond ring. Uh, the ref was distracted. Hager throws the baseball bat into Jericho. Jericho goes like he's going to hit MJF. MJF pauses, then falls back on his back just as the referee turns around. Jericho, <coughs> excuse me, Jericho. I think it was was the uh, Aubrey, I think was the ref. And she's, she refs most of Jericho's matches. So they're arguing over the baseball bat. MJF rolls him up from behind, gets a handful of tongue, trunks, Gets the three count. Gets the win. MJF, now a member of the inner circle. And Chris Jericho sort of begrudgingly at first, but then more in a celebration after lifts MJF's hand, welcomes him to the inner circle. Wardlow and Jake Hager, you can tell, are still very iffy with each other. But Jericho also did say that Wardlow's coming into the inner circle with MJF, so... So now we've now we we've gone past the period where MJF is trying to get into the inner circle. Now he's in the inner circle. And he's got a win over Jericho to boot. And so MJF had done an interview before this match. And he'd said his motivation, like I think this was on the buy-in, I don't know. His motivation for joining a faction is that John Moxley cheated in their match on the last pay-per-view. And that was the only reason why Moxley won. Remember his paradigm shift was banned, but Moxley used it anyway and won. So MJF's theory is if I had a faction at my back, they were backing me up. There's no way Moxley would have been allowed to do that. 
which makes sense. You know, I mean, the referee's back was turned and MJF had a faction. They could have ran in cause a distraction. Who knows? But now we have this issue where MJF and Chris Jericho are going to be in the inner circle together. And I don't think MJF is going to be content to be an underling to Jericho, especially after MJF has now defeated Jericho. So we're going to get a lot of maybe passive aggressive butting of the heads between these two. You would have to imagine that somebody's going to turn on the other. Could you imagine if MJF turned on Jericho and the rest of the inner circle goes with MJF and not Jericho? Wouldn't that be interesting? I don't think, I I don't know that that's going to happen, but it's all on the table. And I did notice Jericho was getting a lot of cheers out there. He's getting cheered pretty big. So maybe Jericho's the baby face here and MJF turns, well, MJF is heel, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe it it could be the case that Jericho goes babyface before this rivalry with MJF is over. Of course, now we're going to go kind of into the eye of the storm where they're in the faction together. They're not in a rivalry together, but they are kind of in a rivalry together. Just they're not really aware of it at this point. Anyway, let's move on. World Championship match, John Moxley, Eddie Kingston. Man, talk about a summer for Eddie Kingston, eh? So Eddie Kingston, he did all this media leading up to this match. Basically, any outlet that ever interviews wrestlers, they interviewed Eddie Kingston at some point. And so Kingston has, has said, look, after the pandemic hit, there was no independent wrestling shows. I had no source of income. I was selling stuff to be able to make my mortgage payments. If it had gone on much longer, I I, just, I was going to have nowhere to live. But then Cody comes out and says, okay, all right. I'm going to give TNT title shots to people that aren't signed to AEW. Who's one of the first guys he brings in? Eddie Kingston. And Eddie Kingston came out. And his intro music was him talking. He was, if if he had to forego an entrance to do a promo, he was going to do that. He cut an amazing promo on Cody. Then they had a great match for the TNT title. I think we did an anatomy of a match on it. And he earns himself a contract and then finds himself main eventing the next pay-per-view. Or not the next pay-per-view, but a pay-per-view. Now, I think, I don't know, but I think moxley and lance archer were probably gonna do more but archer ended up getting covid and so that's maybe why kingston was in this match here but it all makes sense because kingston was in um some gauntlet match i think on the last pay-per-view and he was he wasn't eliminated but he was on the outside of the ring and they awarded the match to lance archer So Kingston's like, what? I should get a title shot. So he gets a title shot against John Moxley. And Moxley has that bulldog choke on him. Kingston goes out. They award the match to Moxley. Kingston's whole thing is, no, I never quit. I never tapped out. I never submitted. I can beat Moxley. His whole motivation for it is that Moxley and Kingston were friends. They were buddies coming up in the independent scene. Then Moxley gets signed to WWE, makes millions of dollars. Meanwhile, Kingston's still struggling to make ends meet. 
And Moxley never came back to give Kingston a job or anything like that. So Kingston's bitter. And he's going to go out and he's going to beat John Moxley for all the guys like Homicide and, you know, the Lucha Bros and, um, you know, other guys that are pro wrestlers that never became sports entertainers. That's the whole, that's Eddie Kingston's motivation. And it was, hey, fantastic. And then they go into like a real hardcore match. Uh, there's barbed wire. You know, great stuff. So uh, John Moxley uses his uh, baseball bat covered in barbed wire. Kingston's hitting him with Saito suplexes and uh, spinning back fists and different moves that he likes to uh, use. And, but uh, in the end, Moxley wraps his arm in barbed wire and he locks on the same sort of choke that he had choked out Kingston with in their first match, but he's just got the barbed wire in. he's wrenching it in and you just kind of see Kingston's lips uh, move. And he says, I quit, you know, it wasn't anything big. Like they never put a microphone up to him. It was n none of that. It was just, you just had to say, I quit to the ref. And then they called for the bell match. Awarded to Moxley. Moxley helps Kingston up. Kingston wants none of this. Doesn't want to shake hands with Moxley or have his arm raised, anything like that. Just goes to the back. And then Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega comes out. Now, these two wrestled in the main event of Full Gear 2019. It, it was technically a lights-out match. So, technically, the pay-per-view had ended when Moxley and Kenny Omega had a lights-out match. And Moxley won. In like a match that was all plunder and they ripped apart the mat. I think he gave him the paradigm shift on the bare wood. And you didn't really hear it, but you kind of saw Omega say it. And then Excalibur explained it was like, you know, uh, no, no, he kind of pointed at the thumbtacks and said like, no, I don't want any of that. And the idea is he was saying, I want a traditional pro wrestling match, traditional rules. And so Moxley may have beaten Omega at Full Gear 2019 when it was a hardcore lights out match. But now does Kenny Omega have the advantage going into their next match if it's just traditional rules? And one other thing, like I forgot to mention about Kenny Omega's match with Hangman Page, Don Callis, Impact Wrestling Executive Vice President or Co-Executive Vice President, uh, sort of like Kenny Omega's, you know, they're both from Winnipeg. Callus organized the match between Jericho and Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. So you kind of wonder if maybe Callus is coming in a bit of a manager's role uh, for Kenny Omega. And, you know, that would be good for Impact, just getting their name out there on AEW broadcast. So, man, so much to unpack. I think we've been reviewing this pay-per-view for an hour. lot to unpack. Almost everything had a place to go. So they finished off storylines and they started new ones. And I think there's a, a lot to be excited for about AEW. Uh, I think Full Gear was one of the strongest shows they've ever done. And it is truly amazing what AEW has done in 2020. They hit the wrestling scene and just a few months later, the pandemic hits. And they're still putting out some of the best wrestling going on uh, right now. And Full Gear was definitely evidence of that. But that was Full Gear, and we're going to move on to other topics now. Yes, I was correct. He beat him in the G1. 
but the thing is, so this was like the 17th time that the winner of G1 has had to defend their briefcase. And they've always won. So you didn't really think there was much risk here of Kota Ibushi losing the briefcase. And when we're kind of looking at, like, what's what's going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom, and I, I wonder if Kota Ibushi is getting to the point where he could beat Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. And like we were saying before, you win the main event at Wrestle Kingdom on the final night. Well, it's, it's on the final night now. Um, you are the greatest wrestler in the promotion. So for years, Hiroshi Tanahashi was winning this match. And then Okada tried to win the match, but he still couldn't beat Tanahashi, even though he was the best guy all year round. And then finally, he learned how to beat Okada in the Tokyo Dome. And then it was sort of the same plot line with Naito and Okada at the Tokyo Dome. And now you wonder if the... And that, that's kind of what I thought coming in is like, okay, well, now it's Kota Ibushi and Naito. And is Kota Ibushi going to all of a sudden top Naito and become the best wrestler in the promotion? But then, I guess we're just going into Jay White beating Kota Ibushi. Jay White does a backslide, puts his feet on the top rope, and the ref counts the three. It's a finish you never, ever see in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, I mean, you see it, but you don't see it that much. And usually when you see it, it's like Toru Yano that's doing it. It's not Jay White doing it in one of the most important singles matches of the year. And so if that happens in WWE or even AEW or any other uh, promotion, I think, ah, well, Jay White's going to main event the Tokyo Dome. But when this happened in New Japan, just because of how New Japan is, I was like, oh, they can't allow this to stand. They've got to change this. They can't have Jay White main eventing the Tokyo Dome. They would get it all worked out. So Jay White beats Kota Ibushi, but he does it with underhanded tactics. Then in the main event, we've got Naito and Evil have been feuding all year. So right after the pandemic, uh, like right when they came back from the pandemic, Evil defeated Naito for the two titles. Then they go, they do that show from the baseball stadium, remember? And Naito regains the championship. And then this is the rubber match between them. And the winner is going to take those titles onto the Tokyo Dome. So huge match for Evil. You know, can he can he come out of this rivalry with Naito, the winner? The answer, no. He could not do it. And there was tons of interference. Um, so he's aligned with Dick Togo and all these guys. But Jay White came out. And Jay White's interference was sort of like the most important part. Because he kind of teased going after Evil. Like, he looked like he was going to go after Evil. Like, is this what you want? You want me in the Tokyo Dome? But then he didn't go after Evil. He went after Naito. But then Kota Ibushi comes out. And so there's this whole big hullabaloo of interference that's going on. And then after the interference ends, Naito hits Destino. Kevin Kelly loses his mind. And the match is over. But then they do the press conference after the show. Or, well, Jay White says... Um, to Naito after the show, he says, I'm not going to do anything on January the 4th. I'm not wrestling a match. I'm doing nothing. I'm sitting with my feet up. You can do whatever you want, but I've got this briefcase and I'm going to challenge whoever is the IWGP heavyweight champion and the Intercontinental champion on January 5th, the final match of the second night of the Tokyo Dome. It's like, okay, that makes sense. You know, Jay White's got the briefcase. All right. 
But what Naito announces after is that he doesn't believe that what happened to Kota Ibushi is fair. He was like me watching that match going, hey, that's not fair. And he feels Kota Ibushi's won the G1 twice in a row. He deserves this title shot. So I'm going to give it to him on night one. So on night one, Naito versus Ibushi, the winner of that match goes on to take on Jay White on the final night. So last year we got the sort of the chase for the gold. We got the two matches and then the two champions met and kind of unified the belts, except for the belts aren't unified still. Um, And now this year we've got sort of, you've got to earn the right to get into the match on the final night. Naito voluntarily giving a title match to Ibushi because he's a fighting champion. So, so many different things could happen here. Ibushi could finally get over, or Ibushi could beat Naito, something that he couldn't do previously. You know, he could overcome that obstacle, but then still not be able to beat Jay White the next night. Or Naito could beat Ibushi again, and then you get Naito and Jay White uh, on the final night. So I don't know. I don't know. Like, that match between Naito and Ibushi could go either way. And then no matter who comes out of that match, the winner, the match with Jay White could go either way. And God, that's, that's pretty interesting. You've got these three wrestlers now competing to be the best wrestler of the year in new Japan pro wrestling. And it's not clear who's going to come out the win, the winner. So that's going to be really fun to watch then uh, those two big matches at wrestle kingdom. So, so that's, you've got your main event on both nights now couple other matches were made for Wrestle Kingdom, or we got closer to a couple other matches being made for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, Kenta beat Hiroshi Tanahashi. He pretzled him up in a... I, I can't remember what he's calling his that submission lock, but after using the briefcase quite a bit. So Kenta beats Tanahashi. And now that match was for a briefcase that Kenta won by winning the U.S. New Japan Cup. And so that earns him a title match against the IWGP US champion who happens to be John Moxley. But John uh, So after the event Kenta calls out John Moxley, but then you got to wonder is that match going to happen cuz Moxley would have to quarantine. He would have to go to Japan like 2 weeks early just to do the match. So he like and then I don't like I don't even know if he can get in. I don't even know if he could get in Japan to do the match. So Kenta, I mean, he has a title shot earned against the U.S. champion. But I don't know if Moxley's going to be able to defend the title. You could bring in like a guy like Jeff Cobb or something to wrestle Kenta instead for the vacant title. If you strip him of the title or maybe Moxley's going to Wrestle Kingdom. He would have to be gone from AEW for a couple of weeks to do it. And they've got that beach blast thing that they're going to do at some point in January. So we'll just have to wait and see what goes on with Moxley in the U.S. title. But Kenta is going to be wrestling for it in the Tokyo Dome. Another match that we're pretty sure is taking place at the Tokyo Dome is going to be Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. And so this comes from Osprey turned on Okada during the G1, brought in the great Okan and B Priestley as sort of his new faction. So Okada beats the great Okan 
uh, in this match with, uh, did he have him in the money clip? I think he had him in the money clip. I could be wrong about that. And then after the match, Will Ospreay, looking like a fine British gentleman, came out and said he used Okada to get more popular and things like that. But now he's going to beat Okada. And and so, yeah, now we're going to see Okada versus Will Ospreay in the Tokyo Dome. So Okada not in the title picture this year in a grudge match with Will Ospreay. And could you imagine... What will happen to Will Ospreay's career if he can beat Okada in the Tokyo Dome? Now, Ospreay, he's pretty much done with the junior heavyweight division, it looks like. He's not in the best of the super juniors. So if Will Ospreay is to become a main event level star in New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's this is it. This is where it, it happens. And that was Power Struggle 2020. And I thought they did a great job building to what I think is going to be a really historic Wrestle Kingdom this year. All right, guys, let's close it off with just the little bit of news that's going around in the world. Actually, like most of the big news that's gone on in wrestling this week, we sort of covered when we were talking about Full Gear Power Struggle. I would say the biggest news that happened this week is Cody being Cody Rhodes again. I think that has to, you know, I mean, it's, he's been without that Cody Rhodes name now for over four years. You know, he won and now he's Cody Rhodes again. I think that's, that's pretty big news. And I think fans are happy about it. They had a Cody Rhodes chant going on in Daly's place. And it does make you wonder what went on behind the scenes between Cody and WWE. Because Cody has just sort of said, like, well, you know, it's not as contentious as it might sound, you know. But Cody recently abandoned some... He abandoned the trademark attempt for Slamboree and the match beyond. And then a little while later, WWE abandons its trademark request for Cody Rhodes. So it seems like something has gone on behind the scenes that they've worked out between themselves. But, uh, like, Cody and WWE... But nobody's talking. <laughs> and with trademarks, lawyers are involved. So nobody is going to be talking for for quite a while. If there is anything interesting to this story, it's not going to come out for years. Uh, another big story kind of came out this week is the Survivor Series. WWE is, is uh, billing as sort of The Undertaker's final farewell Sort of, we had the last dance, and now The Undertaker. I don't know if he's just going to come out 30 years to when Brother Love announced, oh, they should bring Brother Love out to announce him again. Bring Brother Love out to introduce him, just like he did 30 years ago. That's, I think it might be, was it Survivor Series 89 or 90 that he came out with? I don't know. I'm, I'm deeming that not important enough to look up right away and pause the recording. So... So that came out this week. Uh, unfortunately, there was some really uh, unfortunate stuff that came out about Alberto Del Rio and Paige. Paige was on um, a podcast with uh, Lisa Marie Veron, Mickey James, and SoCal Val, and sort of alluded to uh, physical abuse. Um, Alberto 
If you haven't been following this story, he's uh, awaiting trial in January on kidnapping and assault charges stemming from an incident with his ex-girlfriend. He's looking at some pretty significant jail time. And so Paige more or less said on this podcast, like, karma is sort of getting him right now. He's, he's, you know, and uh, that's a real ugly situation. I remember when those two were together and everybody was saying, like, this is just horrible <laughs> these two um and and we've we've really unfortunately learned some horrifying truths about former wwe champion alberto del rio former triple a mega champion as well lucha under did he win the lucha underground he probably did i don't know but that's basically it not a lot else sort of making the news um, Allison Kay announced her free agency. Um, Kylie Ray at this point, what we know is she's taking some time away to do, to deal with some things, which, Hey man, we, we all got to do at, at some times. And, uh, you know, maybe in the future wrestling will work out for her, but right now it, it's not. And, uh, I think everybody's doing a great job of, of just letting private things be private on this one. And, uh, Impact has sort of left it open-ended. Like, her, in storyline, her absence is very much, you know, like, it can be explained by, like, Sue Young returned and took her out or something like that. So, if she does decide that, you know, wrestling could work out for her again, um, you know, the, the the door sounds pretty open for her to do that. And uh, Man, is she ever talented and a real fun person to follow. So, I hope everything... Uh, works out great for her, but looks like that's about it for this week. Most of the news, again, just through full gear and power struggle. Those shows will be back next week to cover everything making the news in the world of pro wrestling. Then, thank you very much, everybody. Check out spoilerfreewrestling.com. We'll have a new episode of Wrestling's Greatest War coming up as soon as well. So thanks again, everyone, and I'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>